Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. One of the ways that I was able to switch to the iPad and still publish and update my website, I use a static web generator. So it's just basically a bunch of markdown files and a bunch of templates. And then it runs through this system called Jekyll, which is written in Ruby, and it generates a static website. Now, previously, I ran that on the Mac, given that there's a command line on the Mac, but that simply wasn't an option. So I just moved all of that to my server for tweaking the design and working on new templates. I use uh, Panix Coda on the iPad. It's incredibly flexible. It's got everything from its own terminal to obviously CSS editor and reference, preview windows, obviously HTML snippets. It can use SSH keys to get into servers. I was very surprised that I could do all of that just on the iPad. Welcome to iPad Pros. I'm Tim Chatton, host of the show. Up next is an interview I did with author Matt Gemmel. Matt caught my eye recently with his approach to his 2018 iPad Pro review and the concept of doing an evaluation of what you do with your computer and using that evaluation to determine if the iPad could be the right tool for you. You can find and read that review over at mattgemmel.com slash the dash big dash ipad in this episode we talk about evaluating the work you do his ipad pro review and we deep dive on the work he does as an author working on the ipad matt is the author of the recently released action thriller novel toll which you can find now in apple books and everywhere books are sold as a reminder you can support this podcast over on patreon.com slash ipad pros or by leaving a review over on apple podcasts Without further delay, here's my interview with Matt. We're here today with Matt Gemmel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. First, can you introduce yourself and the work you do? I am a former consultant software engineer, uh, but I gave that up uh, two or three years ago now, and I'm now a writer, as in a novelist. And what inspired you to make that switch from software engineer to being an author? I'd done, uh, you know, some some fiction writing uh, just from my own interest, particularly when I was younger, and it sort of fell by the wayside as I started going through high school and university and so on. It's always something I'd wanted to get back to. Towards the last few years, as they were, of my time as a consultant software engineer, I'd also started doing some tech journalism on the side, and I think that reawakened my passion for writing and I thought well I'd I'd better do this before I get any older. And what kind of books do you like to write? At the moment I do uh, sort of action thrillers uh, with a European Union focus but I'm I'm more keen to branch out into other genres in the future as well. And I saw today that you shared this really just impressive cover artwork that you did entirely on the iPad. So you're like a full stop production of writing and actually doing the art assets if there are any. I actually have a, a cover designer for the actual cover art, but I do the assembly of the full cover wraparound. I'm nowhere near enough of a graphic artist to actually create the covers myself, but I do create the spine and rear cover and so on. And 
it looks like you're able to just load what he gives you up into Affinity Designer to kind of do the final output for the spine and everything. Yeah, he works in uh, Photoshop, uh, understandably, as most people do. Affinity Photo and Designer on the iPad and on the Mac are really great for fidelity with PST files. So get all the layers and the effects and the masks and all the various stuff. It's, it's very easy for me to just load straight up on the iPad Pro and work with it without losing uh, really a- any of the visuals at all. So something that I, I've been looking through your blog, you do a lot of writing about, you know, getting work done on the iPad since you made the switch from the Mac. Uh, you start off with the smaller pros, the 9.7, then the 10.5. What about this generation made you want to go for the larger 12.9 inch size? It was a couple of things. I would say that it wasn't need, it was more want. Obviously, the screen space is an advantage when I'm working on uh, cover wraparounds and things, but that's a tiny percentage of my year. Where I really have seen the advantage, having just recently switched to the 12.9, is my planning. I use a lot of long outline documents that tend to get very deep into an outline. I use mind maps, I use sketches, uh, and having a bit more room for that is fantastic. Where it's also been very useful is I obviously work with a number of beta readers, but sort of proofreaders and advanced readers uh, who send feedback pointing out uh, typos, errors, continuity problems, etc, etc. And to be able to work uh, two up with the original manuscripts plus their annotated version in the the sort of full-size two-up view, it really is a big improvement to my quality of life when I'm editing. Also, I'm I'm fortunate enough to work from home full-time, so I'm not constantly carting the thing around. So I can afford to have the slightly larger, slightly heavier machine to get the benefit of that without worrying about having to carry it around too often. So you are finding yourself more productive with that extra space uh, to work with? I I would say that I'm more comfortable. I shy away from the term productivity. I think I'm very productive regardless of the screen size, thanks very much. But I am a bit more comfortable for certain tasks on the big screen, certainly. And what keyboard do you find yourself writing with? I know the smaller pros, you didn't like the size of the smart keyboard. Has that changed with the bigger pro? I did pick up the new smart keyboard folio uh, for the new 12.9 inch iPad Pro just as a convenience for when I'll head to a coffee shop or when I'll be traveling. I don't love it as a keyboard. I find the, the keys quite shallow and slappy, but the size of it now is quite comfortable. The vast majority of the time, though, I'm at my desk at home and I've actually got a massive, great, big mechanical keyboard that I connect via USB. It makes a huge amount of noise. It's got Cherry MX Blue key switches. It sounds like artillery, honestly. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful machine to type on. So I'm, I'm usually thrashing away on that. I just hook it up via the, the Apple sort of USB-C multi-port adapter that lets you pass through USB-C power plus HDMI, which I don't use, plus a USB-A port, which is what I connect the keyboard to. You recently reviewed the 2018 iPad Pro, and something I found really fascinating in that review was this process of making the switch to iPad, which you've talked about before in your blog. But uh, can you talk about what that process was like for you to actually decide, hey, the iPad can do what I need a computer to do? Just about two years ago, I think it was actually the month of November in 2016, that I decided to make the jump. I'd had iPads before, but I hadn't gotten a new one in several years. The newest one I had before that point was, I think, an iPad 3. 
And I thought, I, having moved to writing as a career, I think I could really get the benefit of this new type of device and the, the flexibility of it, the portability, the immediacy and intuitiveness of the touchscreen, and I could commit to this. Previously, at that point, I was using a 12-inch Retina MacBook. I bought the iPad and I bought the pencil, but I kept the MacBook active for a week or so, and I just started keeping notes in a file for every task that I performed. I tended to stick with stock apps for stuff like web browsing and email, so there was no particular problem there. But obviously my writing, putting books together, my website has got a membership program whereby people support my writing and they get a newsletter every week. They get new books for free when they come out, so I needed to put those newsletters together, send them out, and various other tasks relating to updating my web server, updating the website itself, making design changes plus all the business-related stuff of fulfilling orders for autograph paperbacks, doing my taxes, etc., etc., etc. I just made a huge list of these things, and as I started to use the iPad as my full-time computer, I ticked off each activity as I found a new way to do it on the iPad. And it took me eight, maybe nine months to cover everything, because certain tasks are concentrated in one part of the year, like publishing a book or doing taxes or whatever, I sort of adapted those workflows as I came up to them. And I did manage to get uh, pretty much everything. I basically told myself at the beginning, I'm not going to jump back to the Mac unless I'm absolutely certain there isn't a way that I can adapt this workflow to the iPad. And I'm absolutely willing to make changes to the apps I use and to the way I do things as long as I don't feel that I'm compromising on completing the task or on the output. Right. The quality needs to be consistent or many people have said, like artists have said, the photos they edit on the iPad don't look identical. They just look different because it's a more kind of hand tailored approach with the pencil and everything. I I suppose that would be the case. I think the question we always have to ask is, is it worse or is it just different? And in my own personal experience, uh, I certainly wouldn't know about art or sophisticated photo retouching. Those are uh, sadly not within my skill set. But for the tasks that I do, uh, sometimes the output is a bit different, but I've pretty much always been able to find something that gets me the quality level that I want and a workflow that I still feel is efficient and intuitive for me on the iPad alone. Now, something like switchers like yourself know is that the goal is to actually accomplish that task, as you were saying, not to replicate the same process. How soon did you realize that it's all about the finished output versus... I need to do these different steps to accomplish that goal. Being a software engineer, you're you're sort of trained and your experience is that you get a a very high level goal somewhere off in the distance. I want an app that does this. And then you have to decompose that into various different steps and, you know, into a software architecture and into an interface design and into an interaction model and data structures and so on and so on and so on. And you need to sort of break it all down. So, In terms of just taking the goal and finding a new way to do it with the technologies available, that was actually fine for me. But I think it's the huge challenge for most people who want to switch because we grow up with desktop-style computers, whether that's an actual physical desktop or a laptop or whatever, with desktop operating systems. People find it almost impossible to realise that there are other ways to do things and that that's not the only way to achieve a goal. One of the things that helped me as I was 
thinking over whether I should make the switch to iPads was the MacStories.net website where Federico Fatici is very much an iPad-focused professional. He writes a lot about the iPad. And so reading all that stuff kind of began to switch my mind over to the iPad way of thinking and I was prepared to make as big an adaption as I needed in order to get the benefit of the form factor of the device and the direct input and the feeling of freedom that it gives me. As you were talking there, I realized something that I see quite a bit with normal computer users. So we use keyboard shortcuts a ton to get stuff sped up, but most people, they're using the mouse and going file, save, which there isn't in most apps that direct correlation. So in many cases, people are actually having to, you know, learn the power of keyboard shortcuts to to really be efficient on the iPad. Is is the undiscoverability about iOS something that people with legacy computer brain going to have to get over? It certainly is, um, because you're used to looking at a normal desktop operating system with, you know, Windows and a pointer and all that stuff, and then you just look at iOS and it looks extremely different. It looks pared down, it looks simplified, it looks like stuff is either hidden or not there at all. There's an awful lot of potential for improvement in terms of how Apple presents iOS to new users that are coming from a desktop, whether it's the Mac or Windows or Linux or whatever. They have these really slick ads about, you know, hey, the iPad can be your computer. What they don't show is how you can actually go through common workflows. I'm the kind of person who loves to read the manual for everything. So, I mean, I, I've, I've read the entire help for, for Affinity Photo. I've read the manual for Procreate on the iPad. I've read the iWork help, and it really, really does help to onboard you. But it's a huge adjustment for people that are used to a pointer and overlapping windows, sort of traditionally, spatially multitasking desktop interface. And I think we're still, as a industry, figuring out how to help people make that transition. And it's a, it's a real problem because, I mean, there's kids that grow up that mouse is like a foreign object to them where this is the first experience they have. But for everyone else, there's a large population that do need help there, I think. Quite understandably, have difficulty imagining how you can use an iPad in a way that's more than just casual. I mean, when I tell people that I'm writing on the iPad, something that they say frequently with incredulity is, you know, how do you deal with editing text, like selecting text and moving text around. Isn't that such a pain? They genuinely think that I sit with a 100,000 word manuscript and tap my finger into the text and use that little magnifier loop and do it that way instead of, you know, using all the same keyboard navigation shortcuts and text selection shortcuts that I use on the Mac because they're pretty universally supported in iOS apps these days. And they just haven't made the connection that a lot of the power user stuff is still there. It's just presented in a different way. Do you know the command key with with left and right arrows still navigates beginning and end of a line? If you add in the shift key, it still extends the selection. The option or alt key still jumps word by word. And you can combine all those any way you like. And page up jumps to the top of a paragraph, page down jumps, etc., 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 just like we've been doing for decades. I guess because the marketing material only ever shows the slide up you know virtual keyboard on the glass it doesn't occur to them that you you can't hook up a mouse but you can certainly plug in a serious keyboard and use it just as you've been used to before and something that's a benefit to ios is you do have kind of some clever apps that make working with text a lot of fun like the drafts app has this mode where you can rearrange your different blocks of text by just dragging it around in a pretty intuitive way 
When I first switched to the iPad, one of the things I missed most was the fabulous and incredible BB Edit from Barebone Software on the Mac. And I've used practically every version of that since I was a wee boy, honestly. And of course, it isn't on the iPad, so I was looking for one of these text processors with a bit of automation. And I first settled on an app called Editorial. It went without updates for quite a while, and when Drafts 5 came out... I immediately sort of shifted all my workflows over there and used all of the automation. And that's, that text rearranging view for shifting paragraphs around is very handy. I actually wrote an app to do that on the Mac myself a number of years ago, but very, very useful. Plus all of the actions uh, for text automation that you can use and create in Draft. And that's actually where I make the weekly newsletters for my site members and it handles everything from loading up a markdown template to transforming it into HTML afterwards, saving it to Dropbox and putting it onto MailChimp to send the newsletters out. You're able to upload HTML into MailChimp and have it to send it on your behalf in that way? Yeah, you can do all of that stuff if you're willing to spend the time to automate it. MailChimp's got an API and drafts can you know make web requests and send forms and, and so on and so forth. So if you're willing to spend the time to put all the pieces together, you can do that. MailChimp Whilst it has many capabilities, it's honestly, it's a bit of a pain in the backside if you're using it on the iPad because their website is just really weird. It, it, it seems to expect you to have a, a mouse hover or, or whatever. It's just, it's very awkward. You need to do a lot of tapping and I even have to switch the orientation of the iPad screen sometimes to get buttons to show up to schedule a campaign. It definitely needs work. I, th- I think the, the engineers at MailChimp are very much not iPad only. But there is an API, so I'm going to have to look into that because I love working with APIs to <laughs> to get my work done. I halfway joke, but it can be pretty powerful using APIs. Yeah, it's something we use a fair bit because we have notification lists for when new books are coming out. There's a newsletter for readers that they can sign up to from the back of the novels as well. And it's obviously it's incredibly important as an independent novelist and publisher to try and keep your audience engaged. So we use MailChimp for all that stuff as well. So they kind of have their claws into me at the moment. Although, you know, I tell you, after having had to use their interface on an iPad in Safari, I would probably jump ship if I could be bothered. One thing I'm curious about is now that you figured out this API and all that, now that you put the groundwork in for that, do you find it actually faster to do the newsletter just entirely with drafts and that method versus on the Mac doing the direct interaction method? I had automated some of it on the Mac as well, but I wouldn't say that it was slower then, but I would say it was more brittle in the software sense. You know, there were sort of more moving parts and pieces to maintain. I had like a shell script and it took something from a file that had been saved from BB Edit and you know it was like one of these Rube Goldberg machines that was like sticky tape and chewing gum holding it all together. With drafts it does everything so there's only really one place to look if anything goes wrong. I like that because one of the things you do have to adapt to when you switch to being iPad only is that you perhaps have to bounce between more apps and utilities in order to get a, a workflow happening. Whereas on the Mac, you tend to have all the little utilities and toys that just exist ambiently. There are menu bar utilities and global macro keyboard shortcut utilities and stuff that runs automatically in the background. Whereas iOS is very much a single process at a time generally speaking. So you need to bounce through more apps, I feel, on average to to complete a full workflow. And so it's nice to be able to just do everything inside uh, drafts after each newsletter is written. 
Now, during this evaluation, what was your biggest surprise? I was very pleasantly surprised that we that we spoke about earlier on was the graphics tools that are available. I sort of assumed that they'd still be very anemic, cut-down things, but there are so many incredible tools for doing, you know, bitmap and vector graphics stuff. There's obviously Procreate, which I mentioned before, you know, hand lettering, artistic type stuff. I've got absolutely no talent in that direction, but God, I love to play with it. There's Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer as nominally a bitmap editing environment kind of like Photoshop and a vector editing environment kind of like Illustrator but they've got a lot of crossover and they share a single file format incredibly so you can open any file from uh, either app in the other. Autodesk graphic but that's wonderful. There's a new uh, vector app that's just being advertised in Vectornator and going from memory something like that. There are yeah there are some astonishing tools for that. I, I really thought that I would be bouncing back to the Mac to occasionally use Photoshop or something like that, but I've really not needed to. Likewise, I guess the sort of web authoring tools that are available. One of the ways that I was able to switch to the iPad and still publish my, and update my website. I use a static web generator, so it's just basically a bunch of markdown files and a bunch of templates, and then it runs through this system called Jekyll, which is written in Ruby, and it generates a static website. So it's it's not dynamically generated whenever someone visits the site. It's just HTML, CSS, etc. It's incredibly fast. It's very secure. I just like that. It appeals to me aesthetically and technologically. Now, previously, I ran that on the Mac, given that there's a command line on the Mac, but that simply wasn't an option. So I just moved all of that to my server for tweaking the design and working on new templates i use uh, panics coda on the ipad it's incredibly flexible it's got everything from its own terminal to obviously css editors and reference preview windows obviously html snippets it can use ssh keys to get into servers i was you know, very surprised that i could do all of that just on the ipad now what was the most challenging thing to adopt from mac os what took you the longest to figure out the new process getting used to the lack of my macro and shortcut utilities because i used for years and years and years an app as a launcher called alfred or alfred 2 most recently it's like spotlight but it's a bit more flexible and more extensible and i had it all tricked out with all these plugins and shortcuts and so on and I also used a, a global micro utility called Keyboard Maestro on the Mac. Used that for years as well. So I had loads of macros that did every conceivable little thing. If I wanted to write a new post for the site, I would just hit this, you know, five key shortcut, boom. It would make a new template, open it in BB Edit or wherever I was working and so on. I had loads of those. Getting used to the lack of them and finding ways to replicate those functionalities, that was something that I spent a lot of time on. I wouldn't say that it was challenging as in difficult, but it required a mental adjustment and it required an investment of time as well. What aspect jumping to iOS brings you the most joy in just general day-to-day use? I love that it's so focused. This is one of the things that I think a lot of people probably see as a huge limitation, but... When I used the Mac, I really generally just tended to have one app on the screen, full screen, if I could possibly avoid using other stuff. I just love being able to focus really deeply on a single task. I mean, you have to when you're writing long-form fiction. You've just got the, the page and the text and the cursor, and you're just there. 
So I love that iOS sort of makes that law and keeps you in a single place. The other thing that I absolutely adore about the iPad is how easily you can transform it into something else. You just pick it up and it's a sketchbook or it's a notepad, it's a book, it's a you know a little kind of movie watching station thing. My wife and I are in the process of buying a new property and there's various documents to review from the estate agent solicitor. It all, always tends to be PDS. There's title deeds, there are diagrams for the renovations and extensions that have been, been done. There's official documentation for planning permission, etc., etc., etc. And you need to look through all of this stuff and annotate it. And the one minute I'm writing away, then I'll get an email with something like that, just pop up, pick up the entire device, pick up the pencil, and I'm interacting directly. It feels like years of tension just falling away. You know that kind of tension headache you get, it's just round, like from one ear right round the back to the other ear, that, that feeling that there's slightly too much friction for a task that ought to be simpler. But that would be the kind of thing where back in the day I might say, you know what, this is too annoying, I'll just print it out and get a physical pen and then take a photo to scan it back in later. With the iPad I don't need to do that because it just turns into whatever I want it to be at the time, whether it's a two pages open at the same time, book spread or mounting it in portrait orientation which I do quite a lot of the time as a huge big white blank page to write on or it's a sketchbook or it's a affinity photo as a graphics editing environment, it kind of physically transforms and I always feel delight about that it's something that struck me immediately when I got that first iPad Pro 9.7 inch a couple of years ago and the initial model of the pencil and that delight has never gone away. Do you find yourself working in the portrait mode when you're writing text? Does that vertical orientation help in any way for you? I do the majority of my writing that vertical orientation. Since I got the 12.9, as I said, I found myself switching to landscape when I'm editing, referring to you know, editing notes or another document. But the actual writing... I've had it virtually exclusively in portrait, each of my iPad Pros for the last two years. It just very much has that feeling of you've got a typewriter and it's got a sheet of paper rolled into the top of it and you're just typing away. It's completely immersive and the fact that it looks like a page, for me at least, is psychologically helpful. So I've I've actually got used to using the thing in portrait the majority of the time, which is completely unlike how I used my iPads way back in the day when I got the first one and got the iPad 3. It was virtually always in landscape orientation, which I think is almost a more natural orientation mm-hmm. for what the iPad is these days. But for my specific case, yeah, I love having it in portrait. Are there any Mac apps that you're sad aren't on iOS yet? Uh, well, I mean, BB Edit, as I said, I absolutely love it. I would say that in the vast majority of cases, I'm more looking forward to feature parity uh, between apps that do exist on both the Mac and iOS rather than feeling that there are apps that are missing. I think an awful lot of people are obviously going to be uh, extremely happy to see proper Photoshop on iOS next year. The demos of that looked very impressive. Now, what I'd just like to see is feature parity, because there's even some aspects of Apple's iWork apps, pages, numbers, and keynotes that are not there on the iOS version but are on the desktop. There's stuff in Ulysses, which I use a great deal. There's certainly a massive amount of stuff in Scrivener, the other big writing app on both Mac and iOS. 
I think if we could get to having the same feature set Microsoft Office as well, uh, that would make me very happy. If it's a Christmas list we're talking about, then I would absolutely love to have BB Edit on uh, the iPad as well. And I, I told Rich Siegel, the CEO of Bare Bones, that just a couple of days ago <laughs> on, on Twitter. <laughs> How important is it that Scrivener made the jump to iOS? I know that's a tool that you use heavily in your writing. I wrote my first novel in this series in Scrivener on the Mac. The second one that I've uh, just finished recently, I actually wrote in Ulysses. So I, I made a switch there as oh, well. Oh, interesting. The manuscript for the first one is, is still in Scrivener, of course. I'm periodically back and forth between the two apps. I've got a Ulysses subscription and I, I always buy the new version of Scrivener. Version 3 was out just in, in the past year or so. I go to a, a writer's meetup on Wednesday nights and the majority is actually iPads. And the bulk of those is the iOS version of Scrivener, which is a fantastic app. It's got some rough edges. It still uses a Dropbox sync and it's modal, so it's very interesting. It doesn't have a number of the features of the desktop version, perhaps understandably, because the desktop version does a huge number of things. It can't export ebooks natively on the iPad. You have to go via pages uh, with a Word document to get an EPUB. So the, there are some rough edges, but it is massively, massively important and beneficial that it is on iOS. And I certainly do use it to make the occasional tweak by, you know, syncing the same files that I've got in the Dropbox version, even though Ulysses is my main writing environment at the moment. What is that publishing process like on iOS? I know Ulysses has an EPUB export, but probably not feature complete enough. And I know Pages got updated to allow you to publish on Apple Books natively. What's that process like for you? Publishing is one of the few remaining things that it's a big compromise to stay on the iPad. And to get a really good result, you pretty much do need to jump back to the Mac briefly. For Scrivener, you can't export an ebook, as I said. So you can get something like a Word document. You could take that into Word. You could take it into Pages, which will happily read it. And it, as you said, can it can now put things directly on Apple Books. I'm going through a third-party format, an intermediate format. You, there are compromises. You lose things like a nicely formatted table of contents, and there can be stylistic issues that are introduced. So it's a compromise. With Ulysses, it can export ebooks, it can export print-ready PDFs, but it does that using what it calls export styles, which are, in the case of ebooks, they are literally CSS style sheets. In the case of print, they are a very CSS-like language that is proprietary to Ulysses, and you use those styles, but you can only create and edit them on the Mac version. They do get synced over using Ulysses's impeccable iCloud sync. It's one of the best implementations I've ever seen. But you do actually have to create and edit them on the Mac. Theoretically, you could just do that once and then you've got them on iOS. But there are weaknesses to Ulysses that can't do certain typographical things that Scrivener can on the desktop that you really need for a, a professionally formatted book. At this point, I am pretty much having to jump back onto the Mac just to do an export of a book. It takes five minutes to do an ebook and a print-ready PDF, and that's all. But it's very much my hope that both of these apps are going to be updated to have a bit more of a sort of serious, high-quality, heavy-beat publishing-ready export on iOS as well. And on the Mac, you're using Scrivener to do that final export? 
Yeah, because but Ulysses just doesn't support certain things that you you really need if you're going to obey all the rules of, of book layout and typesetting and typography and have it look professional. Things like page numbers, they only start where the story starts. You'll have noticed in any printed book you pick up a novel, at least the front matter, which is all the stuff at the front before the story, like copyright, dedication, the title page about the author, thanks to my husband or wife or whatever, that doesn't have page numbers. That's a convention that is rooted uh, decades and centuries ago. Scrivener can happily do that, uh, but Ulysses has absolutely no idea about that stuff. You'll also have noticed that what's called the running heads, you'd, you'd think of them as the headers of pages. If you open a novel, you'll typically get something like the right-hand Pages will have maybe the current section title, like chapter 3, chapter 4, and the left hand might have the author's name or the book's title. Ulysses can do the section headings, but it can't do a static title, like the author's name or the book title or whatever. And there's a lot of little bits like that that are just not quite there, but which Scrivener, of course, completely knows about, but only on the Mac. Now, with Apple's pages, that application is very much a graphical text application. It doesn't support markdown. What's lacking in pages to do the exports there to, to Apple Books and other networks? Pages is like Word. It's a, it's a sort of word processor and or page layout application. The reason I wouldn't work in that is because it gives you this massive big document and you've got a huge amount of text and I I just find that intimidating and it, it sort of damages my creativity. What I love about Scrivener or Ulysses is that you can break it all up into scenes and chapters and shuffle things about and you're not just working with an enormous screed of text, one big continuous manuscript. Pages, the last time I checked with the ePubs, also doesn't know about front matter and the typographical stuff. So mm. whilst we could produce a nice ebook with it, certainly, and maybe it'd be good enough for a whole bunch of cases, but it's like the IDVD of ebooks sort of thing. Yeah. And if you're if you're going to produce something that's really bang on, make it look professional, then you just like anything else, you need some additional tools. And right now, um, if you're wanting to do that on you know, the Apple platforms, you need to be either some serious serious word user or scrivener or going to the you know the crazy high end stuff like InDesign for all your book layout, which is is way beyond me. Scrivener is the sweet spot where it really knows about typography and knows how to lay out a book. The iOS version is pretty much uh, a place to write, and the Mac version is where you assemble it all, just like in copy versus in design from Adobe, I suppose. Yeah. What's your testing process like for that finished ebook? Do you have e-ink Kindles you'll load that Mobi file onto? Absolutely. Yeah. The ePubs, which are they won't work in Kindles, but they work on everything else. Uh, they get checked on Apple Books, an app called Calibre on the Mac. They get checked on uh, a Mac and iPad and iPhone. For the Kindle files, uh, they're uh, .mobi files. Uh, they get checked on the Kindle apps on the Mac, iPad, iPhone, and on an assortment of Kindle e-ink devices that we naturally have lying about because we read quite a lot. The online bookstores that you submit them to will also accept your upload and they mess with it a bit and then they give you it to download and proof and some of them have online proofers as well so there's plenty of checking and then of course uh, it goes out to a bunch of advanced readers who all go through it as well. And what's your process like for brainstorming getting your ideas out before you actually start writing? 
quite a lot of it is just sort of pacing about with a cup of coffee looking out the window um, <laughs> but I use good notes on the iPad as a place to sketch things out I'll, I'll literally sketch out a scene to get an idea of the physicality and the movements of people and how things work sometimes I'll, I'll I like to go to as many of the locations as I can and then take photographs import them and kind of work with those I use mind maps and word association in an app called MindNode, which is is on iOS and on the Mac as well. Of course, I use Omni Outliner, which is the best outlining application I've ever found. It's on, of course, the Mac and iOS as well. And generate these really long, really deep outlines, sometimes getting right down to blow-by-blow stuff within scenes do test writing which is i'll just experimentally write a scene without having a firm plan in place to just see how it turns out and i'll typically do that in ulysses or uh, i used to do it in scrivener when i was working in that full time so it's lots of different things that i i pull together and then of course there's a huge amount of research when you're doing uh, sort of techno thrillers fast pace things uh, with a, a focus on jumping between lots of different locations in the european union there's loads of stuff to look up, you know, the cars and guns and helicopters and all that stuff. There's the scientific thing, there's lots of language stuff, local culture, locations, there's so much of it. And I tend to collate all of that in, used to be Scrivener in Ulysses now at the moment, but I'll occasionally make scrapbooks in GoodNotes again. So there's, there's plenty of material. Do you end up writing your books sequentially chapter one chapter two or do you write the end of the book and then backtrack or what's your process like there i write pretty much exclusively sequentially although sometimes if for whatever reason feeling pretty blocked i'll sometimes jump ahead and write a bit of a scene that i've been looking forward to or that i'm excited by the real answer is that i try and facilitate a sequential write by always doing enough planning beforehand and getting an outline so that when it comes time to write a particular chapter I can grab all these bullet points from Omni Outliner, put them right there and then sort of write towards them and delete each one as I get to it so it becomes a fairly structured process and I had to learn that the hard way because I didn't do it with the first book and thus I had a massive and traumatic rewrite after the first draft so I hopefully have learned my lesson. How do you optimize your workspace for the iPad? You don't need to have a Mac and mouse and stuff in the way. What's your workspace like? I've basically just got this sort of wood veneer desk and the only thing on it, aside from a little fake IKEA pot plant on one corner, is the iPad in a stand and a keyboard. And that's it. The rest of it is empty. Unless I've got a cup of coffee or something, of course. Yeah. So it's just a huge, vast, empty space. And when I was a software engineer working on on iOS apps particularly, I had the exact opposite. I had a huge 27-inch iMac and an external 24-inch monitor and a big Wacom Intuos tablet, which I liked using, and uh, various iPhones and iPads all lined up as testing devices to run the code on... And I had, uh, you know, sticky notes and pens and, and goodness knows what. And it was loaded with stuff. And it was cluttered and stressful. And it was hellish to dust whenever I cleaned the place. So I just made a complete change. So now I've got this empty kind of zen-like desk. Even the, the whole room itself is pretty empty. And it has just got the virtual page uh, that I'm writing on and the, the keyboard in front of me. And does the stand keep the iPad more eye level or what's the 
iPad orientation like? It's a very inexpensive stand. It's by a company called Lamical, L-A-M-I-C-A-L-L. It's got little rubber feet and the angle of the bit that holds the iPad can be adjusted through at least 180 degrees, so you can pretty much choose. It does lift the bottom of the iPad up, I would say, maybe six or seven centimetres, and that is enough, particularly with the 12.9 inch, to pretty much lift the top of it almost to eye level. Uh, but as I say, I keep it in portrait, so that you know obviously elevates it quite a bit more. As you're reading the book and doing kind of your proofreads, will you use Apple Books and like their notes feature to add notes as you're reading, or do you do a PDF and annotating that, or what's that process like? I will just do it in Ulysses. When you tell Ulysses to export something, it brings up a preview of how it'll look, and you can choose the format, and that's actually quite pleasant to read but it also keeps me close enough to the text that I can just flip to the other panel and change something that I've found uh, that needs fixed. For the beta readers, though, I give them a choice of having an e-book that they can read either in Apple Books or a Kindle app or whatever, or on a a physical Kindle device or a Pages or Word document. And that, by and large, tends to be what most people use because it's got the comments and track changes feature in both of those apps. When I get back a set of edits, I can just flick through those those comments without having to hunt for them, address them in my own text. And I, I keep pages in one split and Ulysses in the other split when I'm doing that. And is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to before we wrap it up? I guess if there are any developers uh, listening, please give keyboard shortcuts for everything, every bit as much as you would on the Mac. There are those of us who use these devices full time and we use them with keyboards and we would love to have all those keyboard shortcuts as well. Great. And where can people find your review and more information about your books? I know Toll is now up for pre-order. You can basically find everything at my site. Uh, my name is, is Matt Gemmel. That's M-A-T-T-G-E-M-M-E-L-L. And if you go to mattgemmel.com, uh, you'll uh, find my site. I'm also Matt Gemmel on Twitter and various other social media. Uh, I'd love to talk to you there as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. It's been my pleasure, Tim. Thanks so much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.